welcome to another episode of CashCast, Kelp Network's podcast, where we talk about topics connected to humanitarian cash and voucher assistance. I'm Holly Welcome-Rodice, the regional representative for the Americas in the Kelp Network, and I will be your host for this episode, number seven, in which we will explore the topic, are we ready to use cash and voucher assistance to prepare for crisis in Latin America and the Caribbean? This question emerges from our recent study entitled Cash and Voucher Assistance Within Social Protection Preparedness in Central America, Mexico, and the Dominican Republic. And it responds to the consistent interest on this subject by the communities of practice in the region. Stay tuned and learn from experts on the subject about the potential benefits for linking social protection and humanitarian cash and voucher assistance for preparedness and how, from examples in the region, we can unpack the challenges, enablers, barriers, and opportunities to use the modalities in this new manner. Moreover, how these modalities can contribute to more efficient social assistance systems aimed at improving the lives of millions of people affected by crisis. According to UNOCHA, between the years 2000 and 2019, 152 million people in Latin America and the Caribbean were affected by over 1,000 disasters that impacted the region. Furthermore, the Economic Commission for Latin America and the Caribbean recently cited that extreme poverty in the region grew by 86 million people in 2021 as a result of the deepening social and health crises. Aware of this context, why is preparedness to shocks so important in Latin America and the Caribbean? Isidro Navarro Paya, a humanitarian professional with over two decades of experience, who is currently the Senior Regional Technical Advisor for Cash and Voucher Assistance in Latin America and Middle Eastern regions at World Vision, gives us a straight answer. We know that uh, in, in this region, in, in, Latin, in the Central America and the Caribbean, we have a disaster that happens seasonally. No? So we know that every year we will have hurricanes, we know we will have droughts, and so uh, it's, it makes a lot of sense to, to prepare no? for something that you know is, is, is coming. And with the increased use of technology and, and science, no? we also understand better the, the impact of climate change no? and, and how this affects no? the, the regular patterns no? of the weather. So in that sense, it is much better. You can have a preparedness. I mean, you can have an emergency response that is more effective, no? achieving the, the expected objective, and also that can do more with less resources if you actually prepare no? uh, well in advance, no? as you know it is coming. At the same time, also, we know that now with, with cash transfers, with the use of cash transfer, we, we, we can do a, um, a better response. But at the same time, this is more complex in the sense that it, it requires to have the, the proper registration systems in place, the proper delivery mechanisms, and this uh, it needs to be tested before the actual response. It's not, uh, it has complexities that uh, the, the traditional in-kind delivery of assistance didn't have, and so I think now the preparedness, it requires, it is more relevant and it makes more sense than ever before. So Isidro, considering what you just said, that preparedness makes more sense now than ever before, how are social protection systems prepared to respond to shocks in the region? Uh, traditionally, uh, social protection schemes, they, they have been designed for poverty elevation for a development context, no? to, to tackle issues of chronic poverty, 
uh, under nutrition, but not so much uh, looking to emergency response. No, uh, this is something that uh, it has been relatively new. No, I think in this, in the last ten years, no, uh, around that we've been uh, hearing more and more about uh, shock responsive social protection systems or adaptive social protection systems. No, I mean someone noticed that it makes a lot of sense to use uh, all the capacity uh, uh, developed for social protection to also use it in, in, in emergency response. No? It requires a little bit of adjustments no? to, to include in the database uh, not only the poor people, but also those affected by the emergency. And so the, the social protection scheme can actually be like a souffle. No? It can uh, grow and, and reduce no? uh, adjusting to the needs of the population during development uh, peace teams and also during emergency response. No? But doing this requires actually a lot of work, no? a, a lot of policy development, adjustment of the systems. And uh, this is what we have been working in, the, I think, the last decade, no? to try to uh, adjust the, the social protection systems of the countries and to make them also useful for the, for the emergency response. No? Also, with the increased use of, of cash transfers, this is more possible. No? And it is, easy also, it, it is easier to, to achieve this, no? to use cash uh, for uh, as a safety net no? for poverty alleviation and at the same time to use the same system for emergency, emergency aid. And Isidro, what opportunities do you see in the region that will enable or grow the practice of using humanitarian cash and voucher assistance to prepare people for crisis with or through national social protection systems? I mean, in what reason we consider the cash transfers to be uh, an enabler, no? So it's not only a way of delivering aid to the to, to the people affected by a crisis so that they can buy food or they can buy the hygiene items, no? I think with delivering aid, now thanks to, to technology, delivering aid is also an opportunity for, for the people to, to have access to, to technology, no? For many of them, it can be the first time that they can use a mobile phone to, to, to receive money. Also, the, this can help them to to access uh, other financial services, to, to access the internet and to get more information, also to, to get into social media. No? Uh, now in the, in the emergency, we see that a lot of the people affected, they actually they organize uh, WhatsApp groups or, or Facebook groups where they communicate no? and they get the information about where they can, they can get support from each other or uh, where there is some services they can access. I Meaning the, the, the opportunity is not only about uh, what the institutions can do, which we can do a lot, with better collaboration and, and harmonization of the standards and the systems, but also I think the people are more empowered, no? uh, thanks to, to cash transfers. And the, you know, with the use of technology, we can optimize, multiply the impact of this assistance. No? Some, something that in the past was only to meet basic needs, now it can actually achieve a lot more. No, the, can, uh, the recipient can meet the, the needs, but also they may get access to new opportunities. No, and I think this is something. We should we should try to to make the best of in the humanitarian actors and governments all, all, and the government all together. National governments throughout the region have long successfully used cash and voucher assistance as part of their social protection programs, some even for decades. So governments and their populations are familiar with the modalities. How can humanitarian cash and voucher assistance contribute to social protection systems to be better prepared for crisis? 
How would this contribute to a better response for vulnerable populations? Juan Gonzalo Jaramillo Mejia, who is a global social protection specialist and currently a social protection program policy officer at the United Nations World Food Program, gives us a good analysis for this question. We, we are continuously learning at the programmatic level what works, what does not, and who was excluded from these modalities of support. We need a strong proof of concept first that cash and voucher assistance can help social protection systems be better prepared for crisis, as well as reach excluded populations. However, I still think that there are a number of key contributions that CVA cash-based transfers or cash and voucher assistance can make. Firstly, I have three points to make. First, distributing cash and vouchers instead of in-kind transfers better meet the needs of vulnerable populations affected by crisis because cash and voucher assistance is flexible and fungible. By fungible, I mean that you can more easily convert money into the items required to meet your basic essential needs, such as food, which you need several times a day, every day from womb to tomb, shelter, and access to water. The fungibility of money also helps foster more dignity for vulnerable recipients, as people are empowered to choose what they need the most, which varies according to each individual circumstances and their various and often intersecting inequalities. When I talk about individual circumstances, I'm also thinking about the essential needs and risks that change across their, their, their life cycle. And when I talk about various and often intersecting qualities, I talk about those social identity markers, your age, age your gender, your 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 ableism, your social class would pose certain challenges for you to meet those needs effectively and be able to to effectively meet, address your risks. I'm also thinking about the economic part on on the level of income and assets that people have and spatially where they are located. People are no monolithic categories, uh, and they're just a wide variety of different um, markers uh, that will affect their ability to meet their needs. So secondly, cash and voucher assistance have some real synergies with social protection systems. During a crisis, we would like to see the coverage, adequacy, and comprehensiveness as a minimum of a social protection to increase, of social protection to increase to the population. If properly targeted, cash and voucher assistance can effectively reach previously excluded populations and improve the coverage of social protection systems by facilitating, for example, the horizontal expansion. That is, more people will be included in the system. Cash and voucher assistance can also increase social protection's adequacy, which is so important, by meeting people's increased needs during a shock or while they're experiencing a crisis. Finally, as cash can allow people to access essential services like health, education, and transportation, improving the comprehensiveness and the linkages to other sectors that social protection systems can have. And I wanted to say here that, you know, when linked cash and voucher assistance can also improve the preparedness of social protection systems as we were talking, as as cash can be deployed efficiently, effectively, and rapid after 
the onset of a crisis. For example, and I want to give a, here an example from Latin America and the Caribbean. He, we have El Salvador, for example, rapidly transferred $300 uh, to 1.5 million people when it closed its borders in response to the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. This money helped alleviate the loss of income from the pandemic by this 1.5 million people and therefore prevented vulnerable populations in particular from undertaking negative coping strategies or from being unable to meet their essential needs when we really see how nutritious food is, is critical. Providing cash directly can also be cheaper. We found that providing in-kind assistance as there are no shipping costs and there's limited wastage from providing goods people do not want or need. However, it is worth noting, I want to say that cash and voucher assistance is often supplemented with other modalities. And I often talk that we need to be ambidextrous of bringing sometimes cash with in-kind to ensure that we meet, you know, holistically the various needs that people have. For example, in El Salvador, the government simultaneously froze utility bills and loan payments, as well as distributed 2.7 million food baskets to complement its humanitarian cash and voucher assistance efforts. So thinking ambidextrously here is kind of importantly. So my final point here is that circulating cash through the local economy builds resilience in the local community by supporting local businesses and preventing the collapse of food market. The multiplier effects are critical here because if you go and see like the CEPAL, the ECLEC, the Economic Commission for Latin American and the Currents from the UN, uh, extreme poverty would have been about 1.8 percentage points higher in Latin America and the Caribbean if there were no emergency cash transfers in response to the pandemic. Despite these advances, there are particular barriers or challenges in using humanitarian cash and voucher assistance for preparedness in social protection that characterize the region of Latin America and the Caribbean. Which ones could you mention, Juan Gonzalo? Uh, there are a number of barriers uh, to building preparedness for cash and voucher assistance in social protection in the Latin America and the Caribbean region, for example. Uh, they're financial legal and political restraints for increasing government investments in preparedness. For example, mobilizing resources after the pandemic-linked recessions in Latin America and the Caribbean might be difficult. Fixed regulatory frameworks might delay the deployment of humanitarian cash and voucher assistance in response to shocks, and political will and support for free money and quote unquote, might be low. However, there are not just domestic bureaucratic barriers, but international ones too. We need better coordination in data management between agencies to ensure that registries are consolidated to avoid duplications, errors, and missing people out. Cash working groups and other international forums might be able to circumvent these barriers and improve collaboration to share international expertise and strengthen government capacity, but need to be organized in a advanced, be context-specific, regular, and inclusive of government officials to clarify the role of different international agencies and agencies within government itself. We can use the examples of Honduras and Mexico to see barriers facing humanitarian cash and voucher assistance for preparedness in social protection. For example, in Honduras, there was a slight preference for in-kind assistance during emergency due to concerns about market instabilities and a wider donor reluctance to fund cash responses for events that may not occur. 
described being anticipatory in, in nature, for example, here. In Mexico, meanwhile, there is some lack of coordination between agencies. For example, UNHCR does not share some information with the government because of the sensitivity of the data, obviously, here, which often concerns migrants, uh, people on the move. However, this barrier means that migrants have to register twice, once UNHCR and once with the government, which makes it difficult for both UNHCR and the government to conduct analysis and prepare for future shocks. For example, as well, in the legal barriers we saw in Ecuador with WFP, um, the shock responsiveness of the system uh, to ensure that we could channel uh, critical resources from the humanitarian sector needed a decree by the government. So there was no legal framework uh, in place that would facilitate and accelerate the process of transferring the money to the people. Um, so those are kind of some examples that I hope are useful. Rodolfo Beasley, an independent consultant with more than 15 years of experience in the field of social protection and who in recent years has focused on studying how social protection systems can be adapted to inform and deliver disaster risk management actions, also shares his thoughts about this crucial question with us. Well, I would say, of course, there are many challenges, but the main challenge is probably that these sectors, social protection and humanitarian systems, are not used uh, to working together. They have different mindsets, uh, different tools, different approaches, and so on. So so I guess that the challenge is about building those those bridges, no? bridges between social protection and, and humanitarian systems. But also, we all know about the challenges that governments face in relation to investing in preparedness. No? However, I mean, we should also ask, what about the challenges that humanitarian agencies face? No? Are they ready to, to, to work jointly with governments to support them, to play a function of more kind of assistance to governments uh, once required? This may be another, another, another challenge to keep in mind. Rodolfo, what role do you think that donors have in getting cash and voucher assistance used more for preparedness, including in anticipatory action? Is it a way forward to explore? Definitely. So I mentioned that, that I was in Dominican Republic last week, and anticipatory action was one of the issues discussed with the government and other agencies. And donors can help governments to push the boundaries by funding, by funding innovative approaches huh? and can also help building these bridges that I mentioned before between humanitarian actors and social protection. We know that for governments, it is sometimes difficult to, to kind of innovate, to test new approaches. And I think this, this is a role for, for donors no? to try and push, push the boundaries. And in relation to building, building bridges, we also know that in governments, it's sometimes really, really difficult to build those bridges between, for example, social protection and uh, disaster risk management agencies, social protection and similar assistance, and so on. And so, therefore, there is also a role there for donors to play by promoting uh, activities, projects, uh, workshops, and so on, that promote uh, such, such engagement. And if you were to give one piece of advice to an agency or a government that wants to take a step towards using these modalities for preparedness, what would it be? So investing in preparedness and using cash transfers for, for preparedness, I think, for example, anticipatory action, 
requires a lot of uh, commitment. This is, this is usually difficult and a challenge for governments which are dealing with the day-to-day challenges of, of social protection uh, in countries with high poverty level. So my, my main piece of advice would be to find ways of promoting such actions, of supporting governments in, in, in making this action happen and of making it easy for governments. As I mentioned before, right, for example, by uh, testing new approaches and, and so on, but finding ways in which people's actions become uh, accessible to, to governments. Linking the best of humanitarian cash and voucher assistance systems with national preparedness and social assistance systems is definitely a commitment that different actors must uptake in order to create more efficient social assistance systems aimed at improving the lives of millions of people affected by crisis. If you're interested in learning more about the topic, please visit the CALP Network's website. There you can download the full report mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, including case studies and blogs that dive deeper into the topic we explored here. You will also find other resources on humanitarian cash and veteran assistance and social protection. Note that there is a companion podcast in Spanish, and we invite you to listen to that as well. You can also check out episode four of CashCast, which examines examples of good practices on cash and voucher assistance and social protection and the complexity of operating in crisis contexts. Thank you for listening.